Great. Well, hello, uh, IPC friends and family, and uh, thank you for worshiping with us in this unconventional time. Uh, our gospel reading is John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17, and um, I hope that someone has read it, and if not, please pause what uh, I'm doing now and go ahead and read John 15, verses 1 to 17. Um, so this passage, you probably noticed, and you may be familiar with it, there's a lot of things happening here. Uh, there's a lot of issues we could discuss. There's a lot of details. Um, and just to remind us where we've been, in John 14, Jesus has just promised the disciples that he will leave with them or send to them the Holy Spirit, that um, he's giving the disciples valuable information, right, as he is preparing to leave. They're a little confused. They're not really sure how this is going to play out. But he's giving them information before he goes to his fate so that they might continue on in their ministry. And um, he gives first an analogy, an agricultural one, uh, that is a really simple one that even still today we can understand. In verses one through eight, Jesus says quite clearly to his disciples that I am the grapevine and God is the gardener. And so what does a gardener do? Well, we all know this. A gardener cuts off the vine that bears no fruit, or maybe the gardener will train up the vine so that it might be able to have more sun and grow more fruit. But the gardener also prunes down um, these vines so that they might be more fruitful. And Jesus uses a word here in the NIV. It says that, it, that we would remain. In the ESV or NRSV, it says that we would abide, which is sort of a silly or kind of an interesting English word that can mean a lot of different things. But really what Jesus is saying is that we must remain or abide in him if we want to continue to bear fruit in our lives. And then Jesus goes on to sort of articulate this even more in verses five and following. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is reminding his disciples that, that we need him to continue to do his work. Now, this would have been very confusing to them at the time, but now we look back and we see some more about what he meant. Additionally, Jesus gives us another detail of why we do this. If you look down in verse eight, it says this, when we do this, when we abide with Jesus, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What Jesus is saying is that the way we bring God glory, sure, we meet together in church, we sing songs, we do different things, but the way we really bring God glory in this life is by abiding in Jesus. And then he continues on in verses 9 to 13 of John chapter 15 to talk about what is most important as we do this. And it's the same thing he says two chapters earlier in John chapter 13, and he says that it's love. That love is the most important thing we can do to not only abide in Jesus, but also to bear fruit in our lives. That love is paramount, and that not only is love most important, but that when we love when we care for one another, when we care for the things of this world the way God cares for the things of this world, it brings us joy. And because of my love for you, Jesus says, he says, you are now my friends. I no longer consider you servants. You are now friends of mine. Now, if nothing else, let's just pause and think about that. That should bring us joy. Jesus says that when we love and when we abide and remain in him, we will find joy. But if nothing else, think about that statement, that there is a God who loves us and considers us friends. 
We don't go to church just because we should. We don't read the Bible just because we're servants. We don't do the right thing and and, and be honest on our taxes because we feel like we should, but because God says we are not his servants, we are his friends. And that when we do the things we're supposed to do, when we abide or remain in Jesus, we not only glorify God, but we experience joy. And then he sort of rounds out this whole passage in verses 16 and 17 by saying, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Isn't this amazing? That Jesus says to his disciples before he leaves, hey, I want to remind you something. I chose you. I chose you for this purpose to love and to care for one another. I mean, think about that, that God chose us first. And, and some of you might instantly be thinking about the very popular Christian theological debate when we talk about choosing, right? So let me just address this quickly. There are two main schools of thought when it comes to salvation. Uh, there's the Calvinist approach and the Arminian approach. Essentially, the argument is, you know, do we choose God or does God choose us? to be saved? Is it God's sovereignty that saves us or is it our free will and choice? And this is a very popular debate that has existed since Jesus. Um, And let me just recommend, if you're interested in this or if you're curious about this, a couple of books that might help. Uh, InterVarsity Press has a great series on theology where two authors kind of explain one point from different sides. And uh, the two books are called Why I'm Not a Calvinist and Why I'm Not an Armenian. And um, you can, not Armenian, the country, Armenian, the theologian, and you can look them up if you'd like. Um, Also, there's this book, which I actually got at our bookstall table at IPC, which we may not have for a while, but it is available online as well. And it's called Chosen But Free, and it's sort of a balanced approach to both of these uh, viewpoints and both of these topics. And so either way, whatever side you're on, I actually don't think this is what Jesus is talking about. I've heard people use this passage to argue this before, to say um, that God chose us and it's not something we choose, but I don't think that's the point of what Jesus is saying. When we look at this passage, we realize he's not talking about heaven, he's not talking about an afterlife. What he's talking about is our works we do on this earth and what we are called to do with our everyday lives. How are we, you and I, called to live as disciples of Jesus Christ? Because when we look through the teachings of Jesus, Jesus rarely talked about heaven, but what he talked about was how we ought to live. What is the best way to live? How do we carry ourselves day after day and what's most important? And so because of that, we see here that God actually chose us, you and me, to love this world. And not just people in this world, this is a common misconception. God chose us to love people, to love the earth, to love the physical creation, to enjoy it, and also take care of it? That you and I, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, is to love all of the creation. So then, how do we remain in Jesus? How do we find the strength to love in this way? As Jesus said, how do we find the strength to lay our lives down for one another? Well, there's many things we can do. Do what you're doing now. Continue, even in uncertain times, to meet with one another and to worship together, to read the word of God together, to pray together. That's something we can do. In our own time, in our own daily life, we can spend more time reading his word, praying, meditating, and thinking about the things of God. 
But above all, what I would say is if there's one thing that I've learned in my own life about what it means to abide or to remain in Jesus, is simply to fall more in love with who Jesus is. To fall more in love with this idea that there is a Messiah who loves and cares for us. To learn from his teachings, to, to see why I want to do all these things. To see why Jesus tells me to care for the sick and the poor and the homeless. You know, and I love this analogy he gives about the vine and the branches. And maybe, maybe you'll think about, or maybe you've done this as a child. Someone tells you about if you put a seed in a pot and you water it, it'll grow. And I remember this thinking, this is crazy, right? It's like the, the little grade school science project. How, how in the world could this happen? That, that this tiny little seed will become flowers or will become even vegetables and a big plant? There's no way. And so I remember trying it, right? You get some seeds and you put them in a little pot and then you put it in the windowsill and you water it every day. And for a while you think, this is crazy. This isn't gonna happen. Nothing's happening. A couple of days go by, and you're, you're, whoever it is, your parent or someone tells you, no, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And you keep watering it, and then finally you see a little sprout. And you think, that's crazy. I'm actually helping something grow. And then as it grows, you realize that it gets bigger and stronger, and then maybe little flowers show up. For me, I always think of a tomato vine. And I see these little flowers and, and, and saying, these flowers are going to become tomatoes. You think, no, that's impossible. How could that happen? And yet, as you keep watering and time goes by, the, the, the plant begins to grow and the flowers turn into tomatoes as they're fertilized. And you think, this is impossible. How could fruit come from that tiny little seed? And this is why I love this analogy. Because hey, we know, plants can obviously survive without gardeners, right? They have for thousands and thousands of years. Fruits and vegetables have existed in this world. Uh, they, they grow in the wild without people to cultivate them. But, but when people actually began to cultivate fruit and vegetables, the world changed forever, didn't it? There was more food, and, and there was more food for more people when people began to cultivate fruits and vegetables. When people began to understand that you can actually plant fruit trees where you are, <laughs> rather than wandering around looking for fruit all day, People could stay in one place and the world began to change. And sure, we can have fruit without a gardener. The history of the world shows us this, right? And many people actually argue this whenever I talk about this analogy, right? Well, why do we need religion or God to do good things? Look around the world. People are perfectly capable of doing good things without God. Look at all the charities and NGOs around the world doing good things. Not in the name of Jesus, not attached to a church, not missionaries, but just good people doing good things. Sure, I agree with you. But if this is true, and Jesus' teaching is actually true about this analogy, think of how much more fruit we could grow in this world with help. I can tell you this firsthand. I used to love growing tomatoes. How different it is when you plant a tomato, and if you just let it grow, it'll grow. If you water it, it'll grow, but it's a vine, and it'll start going up, and then it gets weighed down, and it falls over, and it'll grow along the ground, and some fruit will pop up, and it'll be good fruit. It'll be fine. However, if you prop up that vine, if you support it, if you train up the other vines to grow upward towards the light so that it gets more sun and can grow bigger and fuller and thicker, 
And if you do this with multiple tomatoes, you know what happens? By the end of the summer, you're ending up making salsa every day. You're ending up giving tomatoes to neighbors because you don't know what to do with them. You're making spaghetti sauce and freezing it for the winter. You have more fruit than you know what to do with. And in doing that, you have plenty to give to people around you. See, I love it because there is a difference, church, when we have a gardener in our lives to help us bear fruit. There is a difference to our ability to help others when we have someone to help train and lead and guide us. And what Jesus was saying is that we could do far more in this world if we remain in him. That you and I could do the work of the Father, can do the work of a God who loves us in this place where we live if we remain in him. And what's so powerful getting back to verse 16, is that he chose us to do this work. It's not something you or I did. It's not something we passed a test and then he said, okay, now I'll choose you. But as you were, he chooses us. Had nothing to do with our worthiness, but everything to do with God's love. And he said, listen, Jesus made this choice, what, 2,000 years ago? I'm choosing you to bear fruit in this world. Well before any of us were even here, God said, I choose you to love and care for this world. That we can do much more for this world with a gardener, a good, loving gardener who cares for this world than we can do on our own. See, and I really believe that both the Christian and the non-Christian alike, that this can be a beneficial thought. That we, when we hear this, need to say, wow, What might life look like if we didn't rely on our own strength all the time? I would love to be able to produce more for my friends and my family. I would love to be more effective and generous at work and with strangers. And what God says is that he offers this to all if we remain in him as the branches remain in the vine. So what does this mean? Well, for the person who is not a Christian, I would say this means to trust in the love of Jesus, maybe for the first time. For the person who is seeking truth in this world, what I would say is that that what Jesus calls you to do is to submit your will to his will. To believe he chose you before you were even born. To believe he chose you and set you apart to bear fruit in this world. Not to stumble along the ground like a tomato vine on the ground in the dirt, growing some fruit, but to trust him to prop you up that you would go towards the light and bear much fruit. To be trained to grow upward and to be so many things to help so many people. To join with him in the work he's already doing. And for the Christian, this means to remain. For you and I who have said, yes, I believe in this. Yes, I want to abide with him. Then what he says is you must stay with me. You must not go off and think you can do whatever you want. You must not think it's better without me, but instead trust this process. Trust the work I am doing. Do not think you can survive on your own and venture off from the vine and go do your own thing. And I talk to Christians all the time about this and they say the way to grow, the way to grow upwards, right? To bear more fruit is what if, what if I serve more in the church? I mean, that's great, but that's not how. And then some people will say, what if I give more money? That's awesome, give more money, but that's not how you grow. That's not how you bear more fruit. 
Say, better still, what if, what if I sell all I have and live in a monastery and study the Bible all of my days? Then, then surely I will bear more fruit. Maybe. Eventually. But none of those things will actually lead to the fruit and the things he's talking about here unless you and me are falling more in love with the person of Jesus every single day. Trusting in the things he says and not the things the world says. Trusting that we are here to love and care for one another rather than take advantage of and manipulate one another. People always want to know, how can I be a better person? How can I bear more fruit? Jesus says the way to do it is to remain in me so that you might love others in the same way he loved us. Which is what? Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Jesus wants us to know the business of God, that we would grow up and bear fruit in this world. People always want to know how we can grow. And Jesus says so right here, fall more in love with me. Get to know me more. Before we worry about achieving, before we worry about giving more and helping more and serving more, just be. So many of us know what it's like to try and achieve for Jesus and feel burned out, feel tired and worn out. Where you sit, wherever you watch this video, what would it mean to just be in the presence of a God who says, I love you? You know, when we talk about being and abiding and remaining in Jesus, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard because we want things now, we want things quickly, we want to see proof and evidence. But this process of bearing fruit takes time. Like the child who plants the seed, right? They want to see the plant the next morning pop up. And then the day after that, they want to see fruit. But that's not how it works, is it? It takes time, it takes patience, it takes days of watering before we even see that little sprout. And then once the sprout is there, it takes weeks until there's any fruit on the vine. This is a powerful analogy because it also reminds us to be patient, to trust in what God is doing in our lives, to trust that if we remain in him, fruit will come. Because it's not instantaneous. It's this life we're living, this Christian life of, of trying to live and love and care for others, it's a marathon. It is not a sprint. So whether you are seeking Jesus, whether you are asking questions about Jesus, whether you have been a believer your whole life, our calling here is the exact same. To rest in the love of Jesus Christ and to join with him in what he's doing in our lives. To, to almost think of it like this way, go back to that childlikeness, that wonder and that joy that's so hard to wait, but we so eagerly await to see what's going to happen and trust that if we go each and every day and water that little pot, that the vine will grow. When we do this, Jesus actually gives another analogy in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well, that he will give us living water, right? It's a powerful, powerful image Maybe we should go back to our childlikeness and allow Jesus to feed us this living water each and every day and not rush it. 
and not worry about the results so, so quickly or so immediately, but trust the process of what God might be doing in our lives. To see what he might be able to do through us. Because a branch, according to Jesus, a branch that is connected to the vine will bear fruit. And right now many people say, oh, I don't see the fruit in my life. My life's difficult, my life's hard, you don't know my story. It will bear fruit. Jesus promises this. And not only will it bear fruit, but that fruit will glorify God. The God of the universe will be glorified through what Jesus is doing in your life. Do we believe this, church? Do we trust in this process? Do we have the faith of a child who eagerly sits there and waters his little pot every single day, not knowing what will happen? Brothers and sisters in Christ, my prayer for us is that we would remain in him, that we would trust in him, that we would trust in these teachings of this book. And so as we go, may we trust this process, may we trust the living water, may we trust that God is in fact a good gardener and has provided us Jesus to nourish us and to lead us and to grow us in the way we should go. Because remember, whether it's the first time you've heard this or you've heard it for your whole life, never forget, that before you were even born, he chose you to do this good work. Church, may you be people who believe and live this, not just for people, but for this whole creation. Amen. Amen. Enjoy the rest of your services.